All right, good morning. Good to see you guys here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. A couple just quick announcements before we get started. The Unspoken concert, uh, there's still tickets available for that this uh, coming week. Uh, so if you want Unspoken tickets, we'd love for you to be a part of the concert with us. Make sure that you get those, obviously, before the concert. Here's the other thing. So a lot of things have happened in the past six to eight months here at Life Church, but one of the things is we've had a lot of kids, a lot of new families uh, come into life. So we've had to make some adjustments um, in our children's ministry area. And as we look at it, this is, this is the most important thing for us is that first, the safety of your kids. So we just want to make sure that when you bring your kids, that you know you're bringing them into a safe environment and that we're going to take care of them and keep them safe. And obviously that we give them Jesus, you know, in the midst of that. So with that, children's ministry is making some changes on how you're going to drop off your kids and pick up your kids. Um, and that stuff will be communicated to you guys as parents. But we just ask be patient with us as we go through this process and as we're changing some things because it's for the better, right? It's for the betterment of the safety of your kids and just the flow of everything as we continue to try to figure out uh, how to accommodate and uh, figure out growth here at Life Church. All right, so we are in a new series called We Are the Church. Um, and so I'm going to give you a quick update. If you haven't been with us or, you know, if you're new online and you haven't seen what we've been talking about, the reason that we're doing the series is, uh, I, I say obvious, but maybe it's not obvious to you, is, is that, you know, we've had 300 new people since January till now here at Life Church. So we've got to figure out how to help everybody understand who we are, because I think the church that you pick, you know, if this is a place that you want to stay, I think it makes sense that you would understand who we are right, and what drives us and the things that we do. So we are the church is to help everybody get a picture of who we are, what we do, and kind of what or how we make decisions behind the scenes. So it's around this idea. So um, it's around the idea that we read in scripture where it says this, that the true answer, because everybody comes to church for a different reason, but the idea is, is that the internal reason's the same. You're searching for something, right, to fill you, right? That's just the way that it works. Like, even if you've been a follower of Christ and you've walked away, you come back because there's something missing, right? And so you come back into the church with this idea, what's going to fill this hole, right? What's going to fill the hole in my soul? And sometimes people will come and they'll be like, you know what I love about Life Church? It's the worship, right? Like the worship fills my soul and the teaching fills my soul and the community fills my soul. And I'm like, listen. That will never fill your soul. You just won't. In a moment, it might emotionally be like, oh, this makes sense, and I like the music, or I like the teaching, it's relevant, or I like the community, the environment. But long term, if that's what you're using to fill your soul, at some point, it's not going to, and it's all going to go away, and you're going to be empty again. The thing, and this is what scripture says, the only thing that's going to fill your soul, and it's the same concept, if you're coming because of a person or coming because of, you know, certain people, people can't fill it. The only thing that can fill the hole, the only thing that can make it so that you are no longer hungry and no longer thirsty is Jesus, period. Amen. Jesus is the bread of life, right? And that's what scripture says. Our responsibility, obviously people come, we know people, is to say, 
listen, we can help you, but the real answer is the bread of life, Jesus. The real answer is Jesus. The only thing that's going to fill your soul is Jesus. We'll help you in your marriage, but the only thing that's going to fix your marriage is Jesus. Make sense, right? As we go down this road, it's our responsibility as a staff to prepare a meal, Jesus, give it to you so that you can fill those empty places in your heart. Now, here's the thing that we know, and I said this every single week, the problem is, is that we eat, and this is the same problem in life. Like if you eat too much and you never exercise, you end up fat, right? Like that's just the way that it works. You know, you're, you're overweight. Like if you eat too much and you don't like keep it going, like it doesn't work right. Well, the same concept is in church. If you belly up to the table and you're only here to gain more knowledge that you will never use, you will become spiritually obese which is part of what's the problem in the church today is, right? The church in general around the world, around the United States, is that we know way more than we would ever do. Is that fair to say? Well, like, we know a lot. Like, you can recite scriptures, you can do Bible verses, you can do all that stuff. You sit in Bible studies and you absorb knowledge, but then when it comes to practical application, we struggle, right? We struggle to apply it to our life. So what we teach is... We're going to give you the bread of life, but if you're going to come here, one of the things you're always going to be challenged with, what are you going to do with this? So what are you going to do in your community? What are you going to do in your home? What are you going to do in your family? How can you apply this to your life? The other thing that we do is, is we organize around uh, three chairs, right? And so chair one is a third of your church should be made up. And we talk about this all the time. Church diversity and church being different is a good thing because a third of your church should be made up of people that don't even know Jesus, Right? And you know why? Because if we are doing, as church people, if we're doing our job right, then every single day, every single week, we are working to reach people for Jesus, right? And we know that part of reaching people for Jesus is you're going to bring them to church. We're going to help you, right? Like, you're going to be like, hey, you need to check this out. You need to come with me. You need to be a part of it. You're going to bring your friend. So we're expecting that if you bring your friends, a third of this church is going to be made up of your friends who don't know Jesus, right? And we're going to do everything in our power to help you help them get to know who Jesus Christ is. The other one is chair two. These are the people that they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they're just trying to get it figured out. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the days like you give your life to Jesus and you don't know what to do other than you're like thankful that you're not going to hell? You know what I mean? Like you're like super glad that you don't have that anymore, but you also have no idea what you're supposed to do next. And so you're trying to figure out that process. So a third of your church should be made up with people who just came to know Jesus Christ. The other one is chair three, right? So chair three, you know, being the chair that um, are people that we would call spiritually maturing, not spiritually mature. And here's why. We don't believe that your spiritual maturing ends till the day that you stand in front of Jesus. Right, so if anybody that would be like, I'm spiritually matured, you, you're maturing, right? Like you're never going to get it right until you, you know, completely right until you stand in front of Jesus. But a third of your church should be made up of the spiritual maturing, right? The people that got out of chair two and moved on to chair three, right? So the whole, everything that we do from our social media to the messages to the uh, things that we put out when we do services, when we're, we're doing discipleship, all is around that idea that we believe that the church is diverse in that area. And the reason, right, we, I want you to hear this, is 
we do this for a reason, right? Like this isn't just randomly the church came up with this idea that, um, you know, we want to organize around these chairs. The idea is it's the mandate from Scripture, right? The mandate from Scripture is if you call yourself a Christian, right? If you say, you know, I'm somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, and somebody is evaluating your life, right? Just when I say somebody, just understand that there is somebody and that is Jesus is evaluating your life, right? But just the idea is, is what is it that he's looking for? He's looking for somebody who will be turned into a fisher of men. Somebody who will reach people, right? So part of your life is around I'm reaching people. So I'm surrounding myself with people who don't know Jesus with the opportunity to reach them but I don't care just about reaching them. I'm also going to teach them, right? You can't just leave them there, right? We can't just bring new believers in and not do anything with them. So you're going to do everything you can to teach them everything you can about who Jesus is and having a relationship with them. And then also you're going to be part of sending them out, meaning that all of us who have been in this for a while, all of you that have been in this for a while, here's what scriptures very clearly tells you. Older men and older women should be investing into younger men and younger women, training them up to do the work kind of a lost art, I think, right? Passing on traditions, you know, especially when it comes to Christianity that, that we that have been through it are a different place than when we were in the mix. And with that, it means we should train them up. And that mandate comes from Scripture. This is our Scripture that we use from the beginning, Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 16. Here's what Jesus said to all of his disciples at the end of his life when he came back. The 11, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the idea of that, it's not a suggestion, but it's a mandate. Like you don't get, it's not like, some of you get to choose to follow the Great Commission and some of you choose to not follow the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the Great Commission because it's for everybody, right? So each one of us should be reach, teaching, and sending or be a part of that journey no matter where we're sitting in this room. So now, here's what we're going to focus on. Today, we focused on chair one last week. We're going to focus on chair two. And honestly, I think just based upon my observation or based upon my conversations with people, this is where most people get stuck. Chair two. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you're super excited about your new life, and then for whatever reason, you get bogged down in this chair, and you never move on to spiritual maturity. Now, I want to talk a little bit about it, what I think is natural. So here's something that I think is very natural. So whether we want to admit this or not, the majority of your life, when you're, when you're a young person, you know, when, when somebody's young and you're in high school and, or middle school, one of the things that, that's always talked about is, what do you want to become? Right? Don't we do this? Right? Like, what do you want to become? And you go to the guidance counselor. I can remember this, going to the guidance counselor, and I'm like, like what do you want to be someday? I'm like, Judas, I don't know. How, what do you make the most money in? Right? Like is, like, is there a list of what that is? And do you pick one of those things? Like, I don't, I don't really know what I want to be. You know, and so, but it's always about this idea that 
it is about you, right? So it's about you. So I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to move you through this process because we need to figure out your life and the things that you are going to do, right? So you grow up with the focus being on you. And then here's the funny thing. When you get married, the idea is then you become less focused on you. But you know what some of the biggest problems inside of a marriage are? Do you have any guesses? <laughs> Selfishness, right? Like you struggle with not focusing on you. you. You struggle with this idea that you give up that idea of selfishness. It's no longer about you, but it's about, you know, you guys together. But with that, this is what we know, right? You grow up and you are taught, and again, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I know it's not in everybody's case, but this is what you're taught to be selfish. Life revolves around you. Because even when you go to work, right? When you go to work, it's like, you know, everybody wears a sign. You know what everybody's sign says? Make me feel important. I am important. Everybody wears that sign, right? And how you feel inside of work is whether or not somebody did what? made you feel important, right? So everywhere that you go, I mean, employers know this. If you want to keep employees, what, do you, what should you do? Make them feel important, right? So everywhere you go, life revolves around this idea that it's all about you, right? The same, the same concept is this. So the other thing that you're trained to do in life is to make decisions that will make you comfortable, True? Like every decision that you're taught to make is to a decision that will make your life comfortable. If I do, then life will be better, right? If we get, then life will be better. And what you're seeking is this idea of absolute comfort, right? To the best of your ability. Y'all tracking? Does that make sense? So selfishness and comfort. Now, <laughs> you come to church and you give your life to Jesus, and you know what the first thing that they tell you is? You know what scripture tells you? Guess what? Your life is no longer your own. Life is no longer about you. And guess what? If you follow what scripture says, you will never be comfortable. How do you like that message? But you see, the problem is that really isn't the message. That's the message that Scripture says, but that's not the message of the church sometimes. You see, the message of the church is to say, you know, it is all about you. You know, let every decision that we make make sure that you're happy. Right? We've always said this, like there's a, uh, if you come to our Discover Life class, we talk about this. If you ever went on an all-inclusive vacation where you wear the little wristbands, you know, and you get on the ship or you walk into the place and, and listen, they make your towels into like funny little animals or they put fruit on your table, like whatever that stuff is, because it's all about you, right? Well, as, and I've said, that's sometimes how churches are organized. Like you came in with a wristband and the number one thing we want to do is make sure that you're happy. And when you're not happy, just let us know and we'll change something to keep you happy. Like that's how some churches are organized. Like that's because at the end of the day, you know how you get people? Make them happy, right? Like the way that people come is if you make them happy and you keep them happy, like your church is going to be flooded full of people, right? We've always said, we don't want to be a cruise ship. We want to be a battleship. Like you can come, right? And we're going to show you around a little bit, 
But here's what I say. We don't really care if you're happy. We care whether you're in the battle. So if you're new, we love you. We're glad that you're here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, we do love you, but we think it's a bad idea to try to keep you comfortable, right? We think it's a bad idea to try to make sure. You know, the same concept, like when we get to these places of um, being comfortable, right, to go away from the selfishness, the idea of, of making you comfortable, right? So one of the things that we naturally do is we try to make decisions that will make us feel comfortable. It's the same spiritually, So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, one of the things that you do, right, is you give your life to Jesus Christ and you make decisions on things that you will think will make God happy that will make you comfortable. Are we tracking? Right? Like you're going to make a decision, you give your life to Christ and you say, like the first thing I got to do is make decisions and when I make these decisions, it will make God happy. So you just think about this for a second. A lot of people, when they first give their life to Jesus Christ, the thing that they are told to do or the thing that they surround themselves with is I got to become a better, right? And here's how you determine better person, right? So you determine better person by what? Sinning less. And you think that the idea is, and so don't get me wrong, I'm going to come back to this. You should become a better person and you should sin less. But the problem is, here's, what, here's the messed up piece of it all. Do you realize, though, that God is not going around and looking at your life and being like, oh, okay, let me, let me evaluate here for a second. Oh, Brad, you know, his sins, and I like him because he's way better than Macy. <laughs> like, like, he lives way better than her, has way less sins in life. So I'm more happy with Brad than I am with me. That's not how God views you. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, Brad and Macy are the same people. Son, daughter of the king, right? That's how they're viewed. We got to remember, God isn't looking at you happy thinking you became a better person because you sin less. You know what he's looking at? He's looking at the idea of what makes God happy or pleased is your faith. Is that... But like your faith, meaning that, you know how your faith grows? When you get uncomfortable, right? Like it's the only way your faith's ever going to grow is when you get uncomfortable. So do you see the problem of why so many people get stuck in this chair? Because you can't get out of it without completely flipping the tables, getting rid of your selfishness and living in uncomfortable places all of the time. Right? If you don't get a different mindset, you'll be stuck in this chair all the time. In fact, I want to prove it to you. I want to uh, read from Scripture. In Scripture, this is um, in Matthew 10. So in Matthew 10, here's what he's trying to tell us, and here's what we'll keep using this uh, over and over again, this statement. Purpose is what God wants, not comfort. Okay, So he'd rather you live on purpose, not in comfort. Well, here's what he says in Matthew 10, starting in verse 34 says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, right? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. So you know what he was talking about? So the nation of Israel, they had this idea that when Jesus came, what do you think that they were hoping for? Yeah, peace, comfort, stability. Like they were hoping that Jesus was going to take an uncomfortable life because that's what they were living under the impression of the Roman government. 
hoping that they were going to take an uncomfortable life, and because Jesus was going to come, all of a sudden it was going to be comfortable, right? That was the idea uh, that they had. And so Jesus flips it over for them when he says, well, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come, and this is what he says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mo- her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes the righteous person as a righteous person will see, receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Now, here's what he's trying to get at. He's trying to say to you that your natural tendency will be to love your life more than you love the Lord. That your natural tendency, right, will be to love your wife more than you love Jesus. Your natural tendency will be for you to love, you know, your husband more than you love Jesus. Your natural tendency will be to love kids more than you love Jesus. Your natural tendency will be to do things, right, to put Jesus in second place when it comes to love, right? Because that makes sense to all of us, right? Nobody's sitting out there like, no, man, I, I, you know, I don't want to love my kids or I don't want to love my wife. That's not, it makes sense to us that we should love our family. Jesus is saying to be a follower of mine, right? If you want to get out of this chair, here's the thing that you're going to have to realize. Husbands, you can never love your wife the way they deserve until you love Jesus first, period, right? It just can't happen. You cannot give the love to your husband or your wife until you first love him. He's teaching this concept. Same thing. You can't love your kids. All of you guys that think that you just love your kids by giving them all of your time and giving Jesus nothing, you cannot love your children the way that they deserve until you first love Jesus with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Period. And I know what you think. I know you think that time equals love, right? Just more time, more time, more time. You can give them all of the time in the world, but if you don't give them Jesus, nothing ever changes. Right? You can spend all the quality time you want with them, but if we don't fix this problem of giving them Jesus, there's still something that's missing. Right? So he's telling us the thing that's going to have to get switched for you, right? especially when it comes to this. So think about this for a second, parents. It tells you that you need to love Jesus more than you love your children. And I know that's a stretch because I know when I said, hey, like uh, the whole idea that you should love your husband more than you love Jesus, some of you are like, oh, that's no big deal, right? (laughs) But when I said, hey, you can't love your kids more than you love Jesus, some of you moms out there going, hmm, 
True, right? Because that hits home. Like it, it hits home when it becomes, but let me tell you what scripture is trying to tell you. You know how you can love your children well? Prepare them in a way that they can not only meet Jesus, but to be a warrior for Jesus Christ. That's how you can do it, right? Because here's what I want you to see. You, you prepare, you, like the way that you love your kids is you prepare them. I know everybody does this. So if your kid likes a certain sport, what do we do? Yeah, we get them ready, right? You prepare them. You get them their glove, you get them their bat, you put them in the thing, you give them the time, they go to practice. You know, you're like a little school bus, you know, going back and forth. You get them to everywhere that they want to go. But what are you doing? What are you doing to prepare your children to reach their friends for Jesus? And when I say that, I want you to hear this for a second, right? Like, I don't want you to be like, I got to teach my kids the Romans road. And so that way, when they go to school and they get out on the playground, they got to go to all their friends and make them kneel down on their knees and say, you're going to hell until you say this. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Like, that's not what I'm saying. But you know what I am saying? I'm saying, what are you doing as a family to give an opportunity for your friends who are trying to reach their friends where they can bring them over and they can have a meal and they can see people that love them. They can spend time together with people who love them. They can just see what it looks like to be inside of a loving family. And you can just sit down and you can read scripture with them, have fun with them and show them what relationship really looks like. That's preparing, right? You're teaching them that relationships and love for Jesus matter just as much, obviously, if not more, than what they do on the baseball field or what they do on the football field, right? You know, the obvious is is that when we look at how we're preparing and what we're doing, sometimes what we're showing is, is that we for sure, for sure, don't love the Lord more than. What we're showing is is that we have chose to love our family. We've chose to love our circumstances. We've chose to love our comfort, right? Because how many, think about this. How many of you, because this is what he's trying to say, if, if you want this to work, what you need to pray for is not comfort. You need to pray to have your life blown up. How many prayed for that this morning? God, please, interrupt me completely change everything in my life because I don't care about normal I just want to be where you are how many people are praying that prayer right like that's just not normal so to get out of here we've got to start flipping our mindset that's what he's trying to say and we've got to be able to do this so listen the other enemy to being able to move on to spiritual maturity this chair too because here's the thing that we know like there is a time for you to come and be fed and there is a time that it's all about you and there is a time to get out of the high chair and stop whining because you're not getting fed and I don't want to say that in a like mean way I'm just saying what scripture says there is a time to to be here and say this is what I need And we're going to be like, how can we give you what you need? And there is a time to say, get up out of your chair and go feed somebody else. You've been fed long enough. Right? Like that's part of what scripture says. It's not that we're not going to continue to support you, not continue to help you. But if you sit in this chair forever and you go to church, I want you to think about this. If you go to church for the rest of your life, for your needs being met, you will never find a church. Let me restate that. You'll find a church. It'll be just different ones all the time because no church can meet your needs all the time. She'll just keep rotating around until you find the one that 
you know, does for this moment, and then this moment, and this moment, and this moment. If you go for your needs to be met, you know, and, and they're met, and then you pour yourself into doing whatever God's called you to do inside of the church, yeah, God, you'll just be wherever God wants you to be, right? But we got to be able to get out of that chair. Now, I want to move it into like a practical example. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts 9. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 19. So Acts 9 is about the story of Ananias. In this story, this is a perfect example of somebody that was in chair one, right? Got to chair two, and here's the cool thing. Once he got to chair two, just like he has for each one of us, he was challenged to not stay in this chair, but move on. And how he responded not only got him out of this chair, but essentially transformed the whole world because of one decision that he made, okay? So we're going to look at it, and we're going to look at his life and see what we can learn from it. So Acts 9, starting in verse 10. So remember, at this time, people had given their life to Christ, and they're fleeing the persecution in Jerusalem. And so Ananias, being in Damascus, he was a new believer. And because he was a new believer, he was being persecuted for his belief. So here's what he says, Acts 9, starting in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, the Lord, yes, Lord, he answered. Now, I want to stop there for just a second, because... There's something that Ananias did that gave him the ability to get out of this chair. So one of the things that Ananias did, and we'll see it based upon throughout the whole story, that's how we can put this together, but here's one of the things that Ananias did. When he read his Bible, he read his Bible to be a better person and to be used by God. Does that make sense? So you read it like, hey, I need to stop sinning, which is what we should all do, right? We should all read it. We should all follow the rules. We should stop sinning. And we should ask God, what do you want me to do? Same concept. When he prayed, he prayed to help become a better person. And how do I get used by God? Same concept. When he went to a gathering, right? He went to a gathering to gain wisdom so that he could become a better person, and to be used by God, right? He positioned himself to always get better and be open at the same time. Does that make sense? We all need to get better, and we all need to be open. And the reason that we know that happens is because, think about this, Ananias is sitting in a room, and then all of a sudden, God shows up in a vision. If you weren't seeking the Lord and asking him and expecting him to show up, number one, when God shows up in a vision, you'd be like, holy crap, what's going on? He was expecting it. He was sitting there, and so when, when God shows up in a vision and gives him something to do, he was expecting it, because when he read his Bible, he was expecting to hear from God. When he prayed, he was expecting to hear from God. When he went to work, he was expecting to hear from God. When he came to church, he was expecting to hear from God. So when God says, hey, Ananias, he's going to be like, yeah, what's up? But you know, you see why it's foreign to us? It's because we read the Bible just for the sake of getting better ourselves, but not listening for God. So he teaches us, if you want to get out of this chair, one of the ways you're going to get out of this chair is to read to get better and, and be open for God to speak to you. And that's going to move you out of that place. Then he goes on, you know, and says this, um, verse 11, 
Then the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask, uh, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Here's the second thing we can see from Ananias. You know, in our lives, we, tend, we, we have this tendency um, and we see this in our lives. This is how we get stuck in this chair. You get a plan that's comfortable to you and then you ask God to be involved in it. You know what I mean, right? Like you're like, hey, God, I got a plan. Use me. But that use me is why I'm still here because I don't want to get uncomfortable. I don't want it to cost me anything. I want to be at this place. Well, here's what we got to remember. You can't ask God. Well, you can. It just doesn't work. But you can't say, I got a plan and God be involved. You see what Ananias proves that in our lives, it's better to not get a plan and ask God. It's better that God has a plan and we go to where he is. You know why that's important? For a couple different reasons. One, if you try to create a movement and ask God to be a part of your movement, it will sometime fail. If you are a part of God's movement and you're just carrying on, the gates of hell will never prevail. Do you see the difference? Right? If we're a part of the movement of God and the things that he's doing, you know why the gates of hell will never prevail against it? Do you see what's happening? Did you see it happen with Ananias? God had already been working before him to prepare Paul for that transformation to happen. If you want to see a movement, be where God is and be where God has been in front. That's, that's why I'm saying, have you ever been in that situation where you like listen to God and then you call somebody and they're like, that's so amazing that this just happened? Like I was just thinking about, I was in this situation. You know what that is? You listened, you obeyed, God was already working, right? So he teaches us conceptually, if you want to get out of this chair, you know, listen to what the Spirit says, go where he is, and you're guaranteed to be a part of the movement that he's already established, right? So he gives us that principle and teaches us those things. So we got to do uh, that in our own life. Then he says this, pretty profound in verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who, uh, all who call on your name. So this is a pivotal point. And this is honestly a pivotal point for everybody in this room. You see, Ananias is sitting in his comfortable room inside of the church and he hears from God and God gives him a mandate. Ananias has a choice, doesn't he? Ananias can sit in the comfort of his church. Ananias can sit in the comfort of his house, right? But what Ananias has to decide is this, and this is the same thing that you have to decide. Is Paul worth saving? You hear? You see what I'm saying, right? Because you see the dilemma? Here was the dilemma. If Ananias leaves the safety of his home, what does he risk? What's he risk? His life, everything, right? He risks everything. Everything that he's built, his family, everybody around him, the church that he's in, everything that he has put together to stay comfortable, he's going to put at risk if he walks out of that church and goes over to reach the guy that's been killing the people that he knows. So he has to make a decision. Is Paul worth saving? Here's the decision, and I want you to hear this and take this right. 
Every time you choose to stay selfish and comfortable, you are just saying they are not worth saving. That's what you're saying. That those people who he have called you to reach, teach, and send, you're just saying, I would rather them go to hell and me stay comfortable. Fair? Because this is Ananias' story, right? Ananias' story is he didn't have to go. Sure, God showed up in the room. Sure, God told him what to do. But there's lots of people who don't do what God tells them to do, right? Lots of people. Lots of people that are sitting in comfort in this room. I've been one of these people. God told me to do it. I'm like, dude, I'm not doing it. I said, when I first got saved, this is the thing that I said, God asked me to be in full-time ministry. And I said, there is no way. Pastors are crazy. Pastors are poor. And pastor's kids are crazy. I'm not doing it. That's what I said. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to create my own little comfort area. I'm going to do the things that I want to do, and I'm going to make it the way I want it. I'm that person. I chose comfort over calling. I chose comfort over what God wanted me to do. Now, isn't it great that God can still use you? You know what I mean? Isn't it great that even though we don't listen sometimes that God can still restore you, that God can still use you? That's the story, but I want you to get a reality today. Don't ever think that this idea that you can stay in comfort and selfishness has no effect on somebody else is absolutely untrue. You choosing selfishness and comfort is saying that I choose this over what God has called me to do, which we already know what he's called us to do, reach people. We got to make that decision. You have to make that decision because Satan, you know what he wants you to do? Sit right there. Stay comfortable. Stay distracted. Stay busy. Stay because you're always going to have an excuse, right, of why you don't do. Yeah? Right? Like you're always going to have an excuse of why you can't serve. You're always going to have an excuse why you can't go. You're always going to have an excuse why you can't show up, why you can't be in a group, why you can't. Right? And I just say, like, just don't, just say it for what it is. I choose being comfortable over the salvation of a soul. I choose being comfortable over the discipleship of a person. I use comfort over whatever the thing that God's called me to do. Just be honest about it, right? Because then God can use you when we're honest. Because we're all, aren't we all busy? Don't we all have something else to do? Can't we all pick something else to do in our lives? Yes, we can all do those things. But he gives us that to think through. Then he goes on, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. For my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Do you see the perspective shift? 
You see, if you're gonna if you're gonna reach people for Jesus, like if you're gonna get out of this chair and you're gonna live on purpose and and not in comfort or not in selfishness, you're gonna have to get to the place where you see people as not the enemy, but brothers in Christ. You know the reason, the reason that I'm gonna go and I'm gonna serve and I'm gonna be in children's ministry, or I'm gonna be in youth ministry, or I'm gonna serve on a Sunday morning, or I'm gonna serve in a small group. You know why I'm gonna do that? Because these are brothers. These are sisters. These are people that God cares about. And what I do matters, right? How I serve matters. Those are the things he's saying. The perspective shift is he's no longer an enemy, but he's a brother, right? And, and for each one of us, we can do something different when it comes to the perspective shift. Now, think about this. So Ananias goes, we know the story, right? Ananias goes and he prays over him and the scales fall off of his eyes, you know, and, and Paul's saved, and then Paul goes away for three years, and then he goes out and he plants all of these churches and amazing things, right? Who do you hear about all the time when you're reading scripture? Paul. Who made it possible? Ananias. Because of one decision, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people got saved because Ananias chose and you know what? He might not have ever did it again, but one time, you know what he did? He chose to get out of comfort, to get out of selfishness, and he chose to get up and go talk to Paul. And because of that decision, thousands, if not millions of people were saved. Do you see what one little decision can make? One choice for you to get up, one choice for you to be uncomfortable, one conversation that you might have, one serving moment that you might have. Who knows what difference it's going to make? Because listen to what Paul says in the, at the end. So fast forward 20 years. Acts 20, starting in verse 22. This is towards the end of Paul's life. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord uh, Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of, uh, the good news of God's grace. So the worship team is going to come back up. Do you see what, see what happened there? Here is a man. Do you see the same concept? So here was Ananias. The reason that Ananias went to see Paul was because he was compelled by the Spirit. He just made a decision, right? Like the Spirit told him to go. He went. He went and obeyed. And because he obeyed, you took a man who was essentially a persecutor but turned him into somebody who was going to change the world. But what was different in Paul? Paul was the same as Ananias. Paul, compelled by the Spirit, did whatever the Spirit asked him to do, even when it meant, did you catch that? Even when it says, every city that I go to, what does the Holy Spirit warn me? Prison and hardship. Who's signing up for that? Who's signing up for the idea that, that to get out of this chair, you got to open yourself up to be compelled by the Spirit, and the Spirit's saying to you, you know what? What you're going to face in your future is hardship. What you're going to face in your future is, and, and, and how are we going to be like Paul? Just what it says. You want to get out of this chair forever? This is the answer. We, like Paul, knowing, because this I want to just clue you in on this. If you choose 
to be compelled by the Spirit for the rest of your life, you will have struggles and you will be uncomfortable, but you will be with Him. If you're compelled by the Spirit, you will be challenged, right? This doesn't mean you're not going to have great times. doesn't mean that you're not going to be moving down the road and enjoying the things that life has. But you are going to be challenged by the Holy Spirit. You are going to face an opposition because you have an enemy, right? There are going to be things that are going to be pushing back against you. But you know how you're going to keep going? The same reason. Did you see what he said? However, you know why I can keep going? Because this is what I've settled. I don't want to keep my life on this earth. Comfort. Everything that I want. And then lose what matters most. And that is my relationship with Jesus. Because that's what he's telling you. Right? What he's telling you is, if you keep your life, you're going to lose it. But lose your life for me, and you're going to find it. However, I can go on because I don't want, listen, I don't want to lose. I don't want to miss. I don't want to regret a decision in my life. I would rather, even though it's difficult, lose my life so I can have a life with him. So that I can spend eternity with him. So I can be in relationship with him. That's going to be a constant decision for the rest of your life until you go home. However, I'll go ahead and lose my life. However, I'll go ahead and suffer. However, I'll go ahead and be uncomfortable. However, I will make these choices. So I'm going to leave you with this. A few things. right? Four things I want you to, to think about. Okay? Here's the first one. We want you to start coming, right? If you're stuck in this chair, one of the ways we can help you get out of this chair, start coming with purpose. So when you come here on a Sunday morning, come with an expectation to meet Jesus and meet people, right? Come on purpose. Come with this expectation that when you come in this room, yes, you're going to get fed, but you're going to hear from him. And when you hear from him, then just write it down. This is what we want you to do. When you hear from God, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go tell somebody. Now make sure you tell somebody that you know because it might be a little weird if you just show up and be like, hey, this is what God said to me. Find that person you know, find that person you love and say, this is what God said to me and this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell them and this is what I'm going to do. Because that's what he says. I heard and I'm going to do. I'm heard and I'm going to do. Okay? So come with purpose. You know, worship with us on purpose. Here's the other one. Can you come and serve on purpose? I'm going to give you a challenge. There's lots of ways to serve here at Life Church, but one of the ways to get out of this chair is to say, you know what, it might be uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it anyway because I need to be able to be a part of what's going on. I'm going to make a challenge to all men here for a second. Are you ready, guys? There are some young people in our children's ministry that need a man, that need a male influence that need a man that's going to be willing to say, I know I got a thousand other things to do and sometimes kids are crazy, but that's okay. I need a man. I need to be able to look to a man. So I'm just going to challenge you. If you're a guy in here, I get it. You're going to be like, I'm not equipped. I know. Isn't that great? They're not looking for the equipped. They're looking for the willing. 
Right? That's what God's looking for. God's looking for the man who just says, you know what? I'm willing and I'm able and I'm going to stand up there. I'm going to give an example for those things. Can you come and serve? I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know you got a thousand other things, but in different areas, can you come and serve? Can you tell God that it's not just about me? Can you get on community, you know, get in community on purpose? Can you, can you get in a group of people, whether it's in a small group, life group, or, or just in a mentoring group so that you can be in community on purpose? And this, the one that I love the most, obviously, can you leave here and just go on purpose? into your schools, into your workplace, into your homes? Can you go with the purpose of saying, I'm not going to get stuck in that chair. I don't care about comfort. I don't care about selfishness. God, use me wherever you want in amazing ways. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we just are encouraged today, Lord, that even when we get stuck in this place, in that chair, that you can still use us, that you can challenge us, that we can get up. Lord, I pray that we'll all get up, get out of this chair, Lord, and, and keep moving. Lord, I know that the distractions of the world are difficult. Distractions of the world are hard, Lord, but I pray that we will answer the question like Ananias did. Paul's worth saving, so I'm going to get up and do something about it. Lord, may we be a people in a church that it just will live like that, that people are worth saving, so we will give up our life so they can have life. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.